Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, Amir Ryder here with the Transform Sales Podcast. I got my guest, John Carsant, CEO of Level Up Leads. John, what's up, man? How are you? Doing great, Amir. How's it going? Good, good. It's been what, a couple weeks since I saw you in Medellin. I think you're back in, uh, back in Buenos Aires. I'm here in Argentina. Yep. Enjoy, enjoying that conversion rate. Always putting a smile on your face. Uh, <laughs> appreciate you having you on. It's, it's been, uh, I think we've, we've had the opportunity to work on a few clients together over the year. And uh, I got, I got a, a good opportunity to learn more about you personally and, and, and just the, the business you're running. But for the sake of the show, we typically have people who have either been first time buyers of outsourced services or repeat buyers or people that are just considering it. And, the idea here is to just kind of be transparent and talk about the problems and, and mistakes that buyers make so that they can put themselves in the shoes of, of a seller and become better prepared. Because as you know, when we talk, we're talking about meetings and pipelines, we're talking about a lot of revenue and we're talking about uh, a pretty big deal. And, and you know, sales itself is, is the lifeblood of companies. And we want to stop buyers from just making some of the most common mistakes. But before we get into that, Maybe you could tell everybody a little bit about yourself, who you are, and how you got into outsourced sales business to begin with. Yeah, sure. Amir, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm John, originally from California, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And about eight, maybe nine years ago, I started getting into lead generation. Started out with solar lead generation, uh, selling to installers. And then after a few years of that, did some other jobs, to cold calling, full sales cycle. Um, and then about four years ago, I got into B2B lead generation um, for other companies. And so that's how I got into it after a few years of experience, broke off and started my own company um, about two years ago. So that's Level Up Leads. And that's how I got to where I am today. So basically, you became an expert at B2B outbound yourself. You've then worked for companies that sold B2B as a service. And then with all that background, you decided to launch your own company and help buyers of sales services succeed in the nutshell. Exactly. Yeah. Put, sounds put like a logical a... career. It sounds like a logical career path. I think we, we hear that often and it's awesome. So, so you've been, how long has level up uh, leads been around for about two years, a little under two years, two years. So let's, let's dive into it over those two years. Talk to me about mistakes that buyers make when searching for a sales agency provider. And obviously the mistakes that I'm talking about are less to do with, you know, why they didn't close and become a customer, but more mistakes that make you say to yourself, man, this buyer is going to hire the wrong agency. And if they do, it's going to be under the, for the wrong reasons. What, what comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, if that ever, if that ever does come to mind, I typically try to point them in a better direction to a better fit. But um, some common ones I, I see are they're looking for a quick fix. They're looking for the agency to, to do some, pull some magic trick out of their, out of their back pocket. Um, and they expect results that are significantly better than they've seen either currently or in the past. So um, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind is it takes a little bit of time. It's, you know, companies need to learn what, what, the other company that they're going to be reaching out on behalf of learn a little bit about their product, their ICP, and it takes a little bit of time. It's, I always tell people it's like a snowball effect. Um, and as you get the ball ro rolling, it gets better and better over time. 
Um, mm-hmm. Those are the first things that come to mind. Let's see. What else? Um, well, before you do that, for anybody listening, just unpack what you just said, right? It, it's it's the mistake of actually just not understanding what you're buying, right? Because if you're buying, it's like a, it's like picture you're buying like a, a butterfly and it starts off as a caterpillar. You have to know that there's a certain amount of time that it stays in a cocoon, right? Mm-hmm. And if you broke that cocoon open up early, you got a dead butterfly, right? So I think it's it's what you're saying is that the most the biggest mistake that buyers make is not really understanding the time frames around the services they're buying to begin with. And that would ultimately impede them from purchasing the right from the right provider. Is that kind of top one? Yeah. And also it's like expectations too, right? Like sometimes people come to you and they say, okay, I want X amount of meetings that and like, okay, I want 15 meetings a week. And so you kind of try to like, okay, well, let's see how we could potentially do that. And then you start asking them questions like, well, what are you seeing now? I'm like, oh, we're actually, we're actually haven't started yet. So they're kind of coming in with these expectations. Well, yeah. And like, if we, if we talk about that, right, I think it has a lot to do with what you're buying, right? I think if you're buying like a 500 horsepower car, you put it on a dyno and has 500 horsepower, you got what you wanted, right? But you're, you're almost buying, you're almost procuring a process that results through leads and people that are coming in and they're, they're guessing the results that they should expect. And it's coming from emotions, not data. And so they're trying to like, they're trying to buy something and then they're trying to like paint what they're buying without the experience. And it's typically naturally they're, 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 they're less likely to say, Hey, sales agency provider, you have a year to do this, right? It's like more likely like a shortened time frame exactly. with, with, and it's more likely to be like, Hey, John, I'd be happy if you book two meetings a month, but try to get 15. It's more like if you get if 15 meetings, what I expect, if you get less, I want to fire you. Right. So exactly. it's like, it's like they're there. So in a lot of this, and if you realize why I'm asking you these questions, it's because how people buy sales services affects their output, right? That's the whole point of this conversation. It's to demonstrate that if you're buying a service that takes two people to tango, it takes planning, it takes your product market, it takes all these ingredients that buyers need to understand that as much as having a credit card, having money is empowerment that you can potentially have budget for the service that sellers like yourself actually would be better serving a buyer that's highly educated in the buying process versus just having the ability to buy. Right. So that makes sense. Uh, what other, and by the way, I think, I think for anybody listening, it's, it's always interesting to hear how a sales agency leader speaks. They always talk about, they always jump into KPIs and things because they are more concerned with your happiness versus winning your deal, right? So I don't think there's any sales agencies who's like always focused on winning it. It's like always a blended thing, right? Because as soon as you win the deal, you're just winning the right to work together. And then the work that you do together is how you're being measured. It's not the deal, right? So let's focus if you don't mind, because I'm going to ask you, I'm gonna ask you what mistakes they make during the process, but just on a buying side, what else do you see, if anything, right? If that was the main thing, we could stop there, but anything else that, that they do on the buying side that affects their ability to to buy from the right provider? Um, I would say another another thing that comes to mind is expecting there to be no risk involved. And so I always try to flip it back on, on them as like, what would it, if you were hiring someone internally, 
there would be a lot of risk, right? There'd be time involved in hiring. There'd be time involved in training. There'd be time in ramp up. And so they, and then you'd be paying their salary on top of that. And so um, some people kind of expect that when they're going out, outsourcing the, this type of work that there shouldn't really be much risk involved. But the flip side is if you're hiring internally, it'd be more expensive and it'd be a lot of risk. Like what if that doesn't work out? You know, I recently hired somebody uh, and had to let him go because it just wasn't a good fit. That was a big waste of time and money. And that, that can happen for, uh, happens all the time for companies. And so I think just mm -hmm. trying to set the expectation and the value involved in, in outsourcing um, short term and, you know, the results mm -hmm. that they can expect um, so that there is, there is a risk involved, right? It could, it could not work. That's yeah. But we're, we're what we're really talking about here is, is logic, right? It, it's like the biggest mistake that buyers make is that they're not using logic because if they, their options are hiring internally, or 1099 or a freelancer, which has high risk, then they're not associating the, the fact that it's not logical to assume that uh, a, a now that it's a company, there's no risk, right? Exactly. Well, good luck with that. You're dealing with a lot of unlogical buyers, John. So how do you how do you solve for a problem like that? How does somebody how does somebody prepare a buyer to purchase with a logical approach? I, I try to weigh out the pros and cons and like, Hey, these are the, these are the pros and cons of working with a outsourced agency like myself. Here are the pros and cons of hiring internally and trying to push them on why I'm so good. Just kind of accept like, Hey, these are your options. This is best short term. Mm -hmm. This is best long term, and let them make the decision. Um, way less pushy and kind of more like a conversation and helping yeah. them guide them to where they need to be. If that if that's using my agency, that's great. If it's not, I'll either refer them to someone else or maybe hire it internally or both. They could hire internally and use us um, is the best option for them. Yeah, and I, I get it, right? Like, cause that, that's, that's, you run a very ethical agency, right? I think the problem is that, you know, you win the customers that are a good match for you and that understand that you can calm them down and you could speak logic to them, but what happens to the buyers that, you know, don't take the advice and then they go to another company that promises them they can get results faster. That does not, that sells to their illogical decision-making, not against it. And then the customer is the buyer is unhappy. And then the buyer says, I tried outsourcing sales. It doesn't work. How do you help those people? Is that my job? Maybe it's my job. I don't know, but, but that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to tackle. I'm trying to tackle, you know, the buyers that just need that, that understand, need to understand that they're eventually going to lose if some, if they don't listen to logic, right? Like how do we help them? It's, it's a, it's definitely a hurdle to overcome because what, let's say they use a company and it doesn't work out and it leaves them with a bad taste in their mouth. So now they're looking for another solution with a very negative mindset. So, um, it's definitely a challenge. Um, and it happens. I, I actually just started working with a client I've been talking to for over a year. They went with two other agencies before they ended up going with me. So like, yeah, if the other agencies were so great, they would have stuck with them. Right. So something happened. Um, and yeah, and then they, they come to you and they're looking for, again, looking for magic, looking for, uh, they, they use their runaway, right? Like they, 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 they didn't take the advice. 
they picked wrong. They they their budget went from here to here. Now now they are expecting more with less, right? Exactly. And it's ultimately and ultimately it's good for people to hear that because like I said before, my goal is to counter that, right? It's to get people to to buy with logic, not emotion, to to protect themselves, right? Maybe to you know, we recommend this. We recommend a lot of times for people to hire two to three agencies at the same time, right? And and support them all to succeed, because at the very best you have three that succeed. But if one doesn't succeed, you have other two buffers, right? And, and and we do that a lot with startups so that they don't have to go from one agency to the next agency to the next agency, two, three at the same time, because the time to go from one to the next, your 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 pipeline is down, your budget's down, right? And it's I think it sounds um, almost like you're trying to upsell somebody, but you know, from our position as a marketplace, it's, it comes off as honesty and it works pretty well. Um, let's talk about what happens now that a buyer was logical, a buyer came in with the right time frame. they selected level up leads, uh, you're working with them. What is the, the most common mistake you see from buyers that are actively in a pilot or an agreement with a sales agency? So they've already started and they're in the process of, of working. Yeah, they yeah. picked you, everything seemed great. And now what's this like the common theme where, where it's a behavior or a buyer's behavior that ultimately hurts them from achieving the results that they expect and that you as a provider were there to deliver? Mm -hmm. I'd say a common one is, is kind of falling back to what they've done before. So they hire you, you're giving them, you either write the message or the, the outreach, and then they come in and kind of do all these changes. Uh, and it's back to kind of what they were doing before. And you kind of have to push push back a little bit. It's like, hey, well, then why'd you hire me if you're just going to do the same exact thing that wasn't working before? That's one. Um, so being being open and willing to change. And some people are great. Like they, they give you every, all the authority to do what, what you need. Um, and some people really have a hard, hard time kind of changing or, or doing a new approach. Um, I would say that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. So it's like the same thing of like, you know, don't hire a personal trainer if you spend on uh, continuing to eat <laughs> that's sugar. That's a great day, analogy. Right? Yeah. I mean, because a lot of the stuff that, you know, we're, we're, we're humans, right? And I think our behaviors, they kind of repeat themselves in our personal relationships, our, our professional life, the way we buy things, right? it's the kind of the same thing. It, it's like, if you, if you don't expect to change, like I've done this, right. I live in Colombia for seven years and I paid like 800 bucks multiple times for training on Spanish. And I just didn't take the courses. Right. Um, <laughs> I was a good buyer. I gave them money. I didn't complain. Uh -huh. But if I don't change that behavior of actually taking the courses, I'm not going to learn Spanish. Right. So it's interesting because it's a very hard as a sales agency. You can't sell. Now they sign an agreement. Right. And you're like, you send them another contract and it's like, it's like line one. It's like, you're going to listen to me this time, right? It's like, yeah, you're not, you're not going to fall back to old patterns and behaviors, right? It's, it, it's almost too much, right? Because <clears throat> if you, if you go that route, you could scare off a buyer, even though what you're really doing is caring for them. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like a, a fine balance between caring for a buyer, what they get and, and sometimes seeming like, you know, you're too much or too overwhelming or it's too much to do. And, and then they're like, I just want to do this. So I'm going to go to that company that said I need, you know, only to be with them two hours a week. Right. So I think people always are looking for easy. Right. That's the problem. And I think I remind anyone listening to this, if you're a buyer sales services, keep in mind, if you're a software company, every million dollars of revenue is potentially $10 million of valuation. That is what you tout 
to your investors and your friends, right? So should that be easy, right? Like, should it be easy to sell a million dollars and make $10 million valuation? I would go ahead and say no, right? So if you think you're buying something that's going to sell a million dollars in revenue, get you 200 valuation, it's supposed to be easy. Think again, right? Um, it's not easy back to the training thing to get a six pack, even if you want one, that takes a lot of dye and dedication, yeah. right? So, uh, I, I think would, buyers that are listening to this, go ahead. I was going to say, I would jump in and say, um, to start, it might involve a little bit of work, but as you get going, it'll get easier and easier, uh, with time. So there's always a little bit of time involved from both ends to start. Yeah. And then over time, it'll get easier. But more, what, more. what are your thoughts about like real time communication versus like meetings, right? Like I talk to you on WhatsApp and we speak to each other like we're teammates, right? Like you need something, I give it to you. I need something, I give it to you. Like it's back and forth, right? Do you, do you recommend that people do like Zoom onboarding meetings on a set schedule? Or do you recommend an environment that has real time communication through Slack or WhatsApp or something like that? Both. So I, we do one onboarding call takes about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, then from there, it's either communication like a WhatsApp or Slack or text um, or email. So both. Uh, but after, after that onboarding call, there really shouldn't be that much more in terms of onboarding. Should be able to knock that out if you have your questions in line. Um, and then if you want to do check-in calls later, you can do that. Yeah. Well, do you think that the time on onboarding has a lot to do with also like the maturity of a company? Meaning that if you have like a call at a series B company, they have product market fit or like, John, Hey, do these activities, get that, that might need less onboarding than a company that has basically assumptions because, you know, assumptions might be able to be correct or they might, you know, you don't want to, you, you, you don't want to take a message and an offer and run it to net for 90 days to somebody who doesn't respond to it. Well, then you come back to the company and you're like, we didn't get results. And they're like, you're fired versus, you know, does that, does that, the amount, does the amount of time needed on onboarding change based on your product market fit of the buyer? No, I don't think, I don't think it's that, it's that onboarding shouldn't be that challenging. Now there, there is times where a company would have multiple products that go into different industries. And so that might take a little bit more time because you're essentially doing two in one, but for the companies that don't have that, which is the majority, no, it's not. It's not that, not that challenging as long as they have the information, which at times they don't, um, it's just not that, not that complicated of a, of an onboarding process. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not trying to present, I'm not trying to paint it as complicated. I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to do is, is, is let buyers know that like you should be prepared for both. Right. I think, I think whether it's complicated or not is less important than the results they get, meaning that if the results they get are paramount, then they should be flexible to spend more or less time if needed. Right. And I think that's the message I'd like to get across for buyers. Right. I think as a seller, I think there's always a tendency to, to, to be like, this is easy. This is, this is not like pulling teeth. Right. Because we want sellers to hire us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I'd jump in I think and, I, and say is like, like um, a common one I see is uh, not having like any marketing material. So like someone asks for more information so they can share with their team and the company we're working with doesn't actually have anything or they don't yeah. even have like a LinkedIn page set up. I'm like, you got to get this, some of this basic stuff set up so you can at least look decent or appear decent from the outside. Let, let's go deeper, right? If, if data says that customers are 85% ready to buy when they meet with you, then I think it's almost required to have websites and materials that are clear because 
the data is there that buyers are less likely to be won over by a sales rep's personality on a call and more educated by the time they get to a sales rep. That's probably, you know, uh, and it's hard to say that, right? Have you ever feel as a seller that if you tell a buyer that, that they might just take six months, not hire somebody because they won't get it done. Do you ever face a challenge between telling a buyer, yes, we can start now versus come back to me in six months when your website's done? Well, yeah, website example is a good one. Like if the website's not done, I would, I would hold off. Um, but sometimes I don't even know they don't have any marketing material until we start. It's like, Oh, okay. Um, can you guys work on that? Like, cause the, our job is to generate interested leads and they want more information or they want to set up a call. But if you don't have anything, it, it's not a good look. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's like getting soldiers and then saying, Hey, we don't have a factory for the weapons. Yeah. Or like, imagine just like, I want to say you want for the weapons first. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you want to buy a car. It's like, Oh, we only have photos. No, you can't actually see it or something like that. Like it's, you know, you want to yeah. at least have something but, they can share internally. That's good for an MVP, right? If the if the campaign itself is, hey, before we build out our complex product, we want to see if it has product market fit. But that's like an MVP campaign. It's not designed for an ROI. It's designed to say, hey, should we actually build what we're selling? That's mm -hmm. possible, right? So that's it's an idea. It happens. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking it through my head because I, I what I, what I personally believe. I think a lot of the buyer. I think a lot of the buyer mistakes is that there's just not a lot of education around the different types of campaigns, the different speeds it takes, right? Because it's not sexy, right? I think I think for the last five years, everybody got, you know, really turned on by the billion dollar software companies, the Apollos, the LinkedIn automation. They got really turned on by the sizzle of the activity versus the stake of what you're selling, right? Like, there was not really an explosion of GTM, go to market plans, ROI planning, right? It's like this hole of despair where, you know, especially the American market got more obsessed with the, the bigger, the bigger weapons versus the uh, military plan. Right. Um, because I think people who are buyers, I'm like, how often times have you seen buyers that were looking for an ROI on cash on a, what they told you was nine month sales cycle, six months. Like how many times do you see buyers that like, went against what they told you like logically is, is it common or uncommon it's common i think people what percentage of the time <laughs> well i don't have a percentage but a lot of 90? the companies we work with are, are small i don't i don't have numbers but i would say this people make changes frequently because they're unsure of 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 uh product market fit or icp or industry like or title they want to be targeting so Sometimes you start with one thing and then all of a sudden you we totally flip and go another route because we're trying to figure out where they have, where they fit the best or where, where they're going to have the most success in outreach. Um, so there's a lot Talk to me about your best fit client. Someone's listening here. They want to outsource sales. You can only pick one industry that they're selling product or sales, product, uh, software or services. They pick one. What do you pick? I have why? it down where. My clients have historically been 75% SaaS products, 25% service. So can do both, but, <laughs> but, but I, so to, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. So for anybody listening, perfect, John could do everything. Yeah. The, but the perfect fit would be a SaaS company. I've seen really good success with that. And cool. some, a, a SaaS product that is unique in some way. 
something that stands out. Unique selling proposition, like a USP. Something that stands out, right? Like if you if you have a CRM and there's 80 other CRMs, it's going to be very challenging. If you have yeah. some unique drone product that can like analyze fields for agriculture better than the human eye or whatever, something uh-huh. unique, all of a sudden it it really helps out with with campaign results and overall success. Yeah, it's like winning keywords, right? Like if you're going to go after the heaviest keyword, like Google, it's it's hard. You got you got to look for what you can win, right? Competition does matter. Um, anybody listening too, it's it, it's interesting when I ask a sales agency owner that question. There's always going to be an answer of we do both because it's 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 not it's not easy for passionate leaders that love helping revenue to to ex- be exclusive of somebody, and that's kind of why I asked that question, right? I asked that question just to, to, to kind of see, you know, if you were forced to be exclusive, which you would pick, right? Um, your answer is software and USP. And I like, I like it because it's, it's honest and it's, and it's nothing wrong with that. And it has nothing to do with you not being able to service someone else. It just has to do with that there's many different businesses out there and some of them scale better than others. And, and software companies that have unique selling propositions tend to scale better than service companies. That's just a factual thing. And it doesn't mean that service companies aren't profitable and aren't helpful and aren't useful um, at all by any means. Uh, what about size of the company or what's what's your what's your sweet spot? Startup, seed round, series A, series B, public traded or privately held? For us, it's not, not as important in terms of the funding round, but company size. So our sweet spot would be anywhere between five to 75 employees. And a team that is low on bandwidth. So they just, they're wearing a lot of hats. They don't have the time or the expertise on the outreach. And that's where we come in. So that's our sweet spot. We need you. Good. It's clear. Uh, What about regions? EMEA, United States, what's that that spot, that sweet spot for you guys? Depends on the service. So we have, if we're running actual lead gen campaigns, ideally it's, it's in the States, Canada, or Europe. Although we can go worldwide. So like I have one of my clients is targeting Africa and Asia right now. And we're seeing really good results. Um, so it depends. Less competition. But what? Less competition. Yeah. Um, they have a really cool product though. Um, but that is, those are the main regions we focus on is, is North America and Europe. So if you're a software company looking to sell in North America, five to 71 employees are kind of broad. But the most important thing is that you have a limited bandwidth. Then exactly. level up leads is, is good to talk to you. And I know why it's because John's super personal runs a small boutique where he actually acts like he's part of the company. So that's, it all makes sense to me. I, I get it. Uh, John, this has been awesome. I know we're going to have you back on the shows. We're going to be diving deeper into different topics, all centered around helping buyers and sellers. Um, if anybody wants to connect with you, what's your best channel, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, where can they, where can they reach out to you to pick, pick your brain on everything you've learned over the last uh, so many years in the space? Two best spots would be my website, leveluplead.io, or my LinkedIn, John Carsant, K-A-R-S-A-N-T. You can find me there. John, you're the man, dude. I appreciate your time. As always, looking forward to seeing you at the Sales Agency Girls Summit. You better be here. And maybe next week in uh when is it? When is Edis? May twelfth, man. I told you fourteen times. <laughs> okay. Not listening to me. I'm just kidding. Everybody, thank you for listening. I'm signing off. John, thank you. Thanks, Amir. Take See care, you guys. Man. Bye-bye.